Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast by Enterprise DNA. This is a podcast which dives into a range of different ideas and tips to empowering a data-led culture within organizations. We want you to develop the analytic mind to create immense value for yourself and your teams. Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast. I'm joined today by Kirk Marple and really excited to get into some quite advanced data-related topics today. Kirk's doing some really interesting things, particularly with his own a new company that he has started. So yeah, look, why don't I just quickly throw it across to you? I think you could do a much better job of sort of just explaining uh, a bit more about your background and currently what you're up to. Yeah, I'd love to. So um, I mean, really kind of been in the media software space my whole career. I mean, career software developer, I had done my master's and then ended up at Microsoft working on um, like 3D virtual world, kind of metaverse before the metaverse. I mean, 20 years ago, I had a great time there and then started a video transcoding company. And so kind of in the early days of web video and then kind of got into broadcast video. So we sold into ESPN, PBS and, and all those folks and kind of, I mean, unintentionally been around image processing, media transcoding, all these kind of things. And ended up kind of being the sweet spot of my career and um, had to bootstrap this company after Microsoft and had that for like a, 10 years, um, ended up selling it. And so the last, I guess it's been about six years now, has been interesting where I started to see this pattern of media workflow, data workflow that I kind of refined over the years in, in media entertainment, start to apply to the computer vision world and just enterprise data management as a more generic sense. And so... I ended up at General Motors after I sold my company. I just wanted to do something different. They had just bought Cruise. It was data off of the cruise vehicles the, uh, in Ross bag format that they were taking in to um, get the LiDAR out of it, get the video out of it, get it in the hands of data scientists. And so it was interesting. I mean, I, I kind of built this architecture, prototyped a bunch of things, taught myself, I mean, like Kafka and Cassandra and tools I hadn't really used before. And I started to be like, wait a minute. I mean, this is kind of like a media management system that we used in the video world. I mean, the video archiving and video editors and stuff. So I was like, well, why don't these exist? I mean, why can't they just buy something like this off the shelf? Because these tools have been around for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so what I started to see was a lot of these patterns, just people weren't aware of. I mean, in, in the kind of quote industry, that's not media entertainment. And so I had this idea of, can we just build a media management tool for data scientists or for machine learning productionalizing machine learning and, and all that. So I ended up being CTO and VP of a couple of different companies doing similar kind of computer vision pipelines and ML pipelines. And time and time again, I'm like, why are we building this from scratch? <laughs> it was like, I mean, really seeing this pattern. And so I guess about a year and a half ago, started having the idea of, I mean, look, I'm either going to do this now or never. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. Um, mm -hmm. This problem is still there. And how did, I mean, COVID, fortunately or unfortunately, had an impact on the job that I was working at was either go get another job or go raise funding now. And right. did the latter, raised the seed round about a year ago and hit the ground running. Um, so we, we launched or created Unstruck Data to be an unstructured data platform in a very kind of broad sense. I had been working kind of on the side nights and weekends on a podcast discovery platform. And so had this knowledge graph kind of, uh, you could call it like a knowledge graph ingestion like ETL system to take data from multiple sources. Like back in the day, it was doing RSS feeds in and correlating everything on Spotify and Apple Music and Ticketmaster and just pulling all this data into a knowledge graph. And so I took all that check that I was kind of playing around with and 
basically put it into this company and said, look, let's make this more industrial focused, like more business focused. Mm-hmm. And um, it grabbed a bunch of great people that I'd worked with, I mean, multiple times before. And um, we hit the ground running. And so we, I guess, what is this? April now, October was the first time we showed it off to people. So I'd done a lot of customer discovery, kind of incorporating people I'd met at previous companies and people we met last year. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, the, the idea is resonating. I mean, of we're kind of competing against DIY in this space. I, I often joke it's usually a jump right from an S3 bucket to Python code in mm-hmm. for a lot of people to solve this. And we were trying to kind of put more of a low-code, no-code, kind of automated system, like a Fivetran for unstructured data, but doing the analytic kind of data extraction, as well as being able to inject compute into it. Because the big thing we heard from the initial private preview customers was, okay, this is really cool. We get the idea of the data workflow, but we want to find our entities in the data we're looking at. Like a land management group, they wanted to find literally like, uh, well, it was actually at Stanford. They wanted to find the barbecues that were by all their student housing from drone photos. And so it's like an out-of-the-box model, like Azure Cognitive Services or one of these more generic ones, it's not really going to find that stuff. But if we can find those bespoke entities in the real world, then this becomes really interesting. So we started building out an auto-tagging solution where they could annotate their data themselves, really more of a data analyst persona, kind of not an ML engineer or data scientist persona, and start to find their entities in this data. And so that started really clicking. And that's where we're actually launching our true V1 in a couple of weeks. And then that is really the, the next step of, we believe we've really closed that last mile down where now it's like, okay, we have this great platform. We can do all the data ingest and analytics, but they need to tag and automatically tag their entities to drive the analytics and search from. Yeah. Um, and then we have plans to do like auto tagging for documents later. And we already do some things like we're running audio transcription and different things like that as well. So, but yeah, I mean, the goal is to kind of get this enterprise knowledge graph built from data metadata you're extracting from all of this unstructured data. Mm-hmm. And then we provide that through an API, we provide it through a UI, kind of a thought spot tableau-ish kind of looking UI with a, but it has geospatial, temporal, and a tagging taxonomy, kind of as the three main indices. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so we're, I mean, still somewhat early days. Um, I mean, we're pre-revenue, pre, I mean, we're getting closer to market fit. I'd still call us pre-product market fit. I, mean, I think there's still yeah. some tightening of the knobs to go. But I mean, everybody that I've talked to, I mean, says they understand now there's this whole world, this parallel universe of the modern data stack infrastructure data. Our pitch is, I mean, where is it for unstructured data? Like, where are all the easy tools? And that's what we're trying to aim at and, um, and really help out with. Yeah, that's no, super fascinating. And I can see from my perspective how the need for that has grown like exponentially in the sort of last five to eight years with machine learning and, and, and AI. And even just, you could say, mobile phones just capturing so many more photos and, and data, et cetera. Just so we can, because I would honestly say that my guesstimate would be a lot of our listeners might not truly understand exactly what unstructured data yeah. is. Just hear me out and you correct me if I'm wrong. So yeah. I guess what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a searchable data set from information that is either like images or videos, kind of like doing a Google search, but instead yeah. of searching through blogs or text on a website, you're actually searching through tags or metadata that has been applied to images, to, yeah. uh, maybe even text, maybe even um, videos. Exactly. I mean, we, 
as the simplest case, think of it as unstructured data as files. Um, but it's it's the files that aren't like a CSV and it's not a log data. It's kind of yeah. everything. Right. And 80% of the companies, if you Google for unstructured data platform, are going to be very document focused because that's been a sweet spot, like scanning insurance documents, legal documents. And so we're our sweet spot is like if there's a geo spatial element to it, like okay, it's a you took it on your mobile phone at a place in the real world, or it's a drone, or it's a robot, and document reports, audio about that geo visual data. That's kind of our sweet spot. I mean, we can do other pure document solutions or pure audio solutions, but really the place we lean into is correlating those different data sets together, doing things like I found a term for a, a piece of equipment that was in a document and I spoke it in a Zoom meeting and I saw it on the side of a tank. Like, and so you're doing image text extraction, audio transcription, and any extraction at the same in documents. And that's where we really say, look, we create those edges in the knowledge graph. And you can just grab on that tag and see what it's connected to in your graph. And then it's all obviously all the ML-generated insights we can drive from that and alerts and, and all that kind of stuff. But really the goal is just get data into the graph in an interesting data model, essentially. Right. Do, do you think that, does this already exist out there in the market? Because I was obviously, um, it's very relevant at the moment. There's a, there's a war going on. There's a lot of, yeah. um, there's a lot of like overhead imagery, geospatial imagery. And I keep thinking, man, somewhere in there, someone's able to type in, okay, where are the tanks? And just yeah. typing yeah. that in. So does it already exist or is this actually, you know, are you trying to create something new or, or just slightly different to what, to what's already out there? The place I see it exists the most is like defensive government. And Palantir, C3.ai, I mean, they're obviously, I mean, understandably, I mean, they're doing very similar things, but at a, at a much more like a, they're probably like $100 million contracts. They're right. sending a ton of engineers in to, in to help do this. And they're great products, great companies. But we're really trying to be more of like Palantir Lite, but for no code, like really more of a no-code version of that, where we can do some level of the data fusion. We can, I mean, pull in the data sets automatically, hook up to different workflows, but you don't require any engineering help to do that. And that's really where we really see there's a there's a huge market there of maintenance engineers in a port or a land manager, a secure from security footage, you could build different things. And we do see it as kind of twofold. I mean, there's a strategic data manager persona that we talk a lot about that can kind of push this into their org and say, look, it's like you were using Tableau for this kind of data. Use this for everything else as a way to, to scrub through the data. And over time, we want to connect those, those worlds. But the other half is, here's an API. Dump your data and we give you a really nice canonical GraphQL API. And mm -hmm. searchable and you can walk the graph via resolvers. And like, it's, it's just, we use it for our own UI. We're going to mm -hmm. open that up this quarter. And I just want to see, I mean, it's kind of like a pass. I mean, it's, it's a platform that you can spin up, get an account on, dump data into, and just use as a, as a query engine, but also write data back into it as mm. like, you want to add more metadata to it, go for it. And so we're, we're really interested to see where that opens up. I think it's, mm. we were going to hold off a little bit on that, but we decided, look, let's just get it out there and see mm. what people want on it. And, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of markets. I mean, and uh, energy, manufacturing, anything to do with real estate, outdoor real estate, like uh, construction. Mm. I mean, I was uh, building a demo where I was like, look, I had all this drone footage and maybe it's a company that like literally would deliver port potties like to parks mm. and be like, hey, just go in there and identify them. We can 
create an auto tag for that. And it's like, you want to track like where these all have gone? Like it's least stolen them. Have they knocked them over? And yeah. over time, we can then generate automatic insights. Like, hey, we mm-hmm. saw this thing here for six months and then it dropped off and mm-hmm. we don't see this thing here. Those are the kind of things we want to automatically generate insights from. And so it's a really wide variety of use cases. So we're trying to balance the generic and the specific in a lot of cases. And really for us, the, the specific is about the ML models. That's really what it comes down to is identity converting the perceived data into a tag, essentially. And our goal is just we can plug in a million models that people come up with themselves, off a marketplace, wherever, and just be able to like do that. And we'll do everything else. Right. To me, um, another huge market is agriculture, horticulture. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just just huge, isn't it? Yeah, I can totally relate to the sort of no code and sort of self, more, more sort of self-service trend. With our with my business enterprise DNA, we're focused on Microsoft tools, Power BI, yeah. Power Apps, Power Automate, and you could actually see something like this plugging into those. Like Microsoft is really pushing their Power Apps development tool yeah. now, and so for sort of enterprise wide apps that can go on your phone, your your tablet, etc. But they don't have. I mean, they've got something called AI Builder, but very yeah. not very mature at all. So this is something that could logically plug into that, right? With the APIs. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. And we're, we're built on the Azure stack already. So we're using Azure Auto ML under the hood. And this morning, I just actually gave a talk on Cosmos DB, which we use and, and different things. But it's, I think you're totally right. I mean, I do see like Dynamics 365 field service as a great place to plug this in. Like our alert creates a ticket in field service. Is, is it, we're going to, I mean, I anticipate we'll add an integration for that later this year. But even just, a Power App talk to our GraphQL API could be super interesting. And we even built a uh, iOS app for basically going around and capturing data sessions of, it's almost like a Strava. If you're going around biking or, or something like that, which tracks where you are, you can upload pictures, audio clips as you're walking around. And we see that as kind of a demo of like this field service kind of application. But we then auto ingest and auto index all that data. And so I think it's it does fit in. And that's where we're, we're actually focusing now and on trying to basically market to solution providers in this kind of space to say, look, let us just be the platform. We know there's that last little 10% that is more specific to your industry. We want to make sure that it's super easy to build things on top of us and plug that hole. And like, hey, I mean, if you have a little extra work you need to do, we just hit a webhook and tell you when there's a new image or a new tag's been applied or some new insight. You can do some extra work on the side in your ecosystem and then call us back when you're done or, or something like that. So we do anticipate it being more of a pluggable platform to fit right in with that kind of power platform. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, look, I can totally yep. see it. Um, huge value add. Question for you on the sort of sales and marketing side. I'm interested because it's quite a complex sale, right? It's it's not something that is, you know, it's not something that every, you know, it's, it's not like your lay person yeah. doesn't understand it. You don't go Googling for an unstructured data platform. I mean, even even I would say sort of managers and directors and, and, and a lot of decision makers probably don't understand it completely. So how do you actually go about marketing it yeah. and selling it out to potential customers? I think the the product, the engineering work has been almost the easier part because that's where all our backgrounds from. I think the, the sales and part of it is still tricky. I mean, I think marketing a platform is very difficult. I mean, it's like even when Spark came out, I mean, I listened to a podcast with uh, on their kind of early days and it's like, it took them a couple of years, I mean, to really sink into what, like it's a great technology, but what do you do with it? 
I mean, I won't overstate it. I mean, we're still figuring that out. I mean, we're pre-product market fit in that sense that there's a lot we can do. And we, we've connected some of those dots, but figuring out the right balance of what we do and what we work with partners on and all that, we do anticipate kind of working through partners from a marketing perspective. Like I've been talking to a lot of ML partners who have models or they have ML tooling, like annotation tooling, or was just talking to a photogrammetry vendor this morning for converting images to 3D content. And that's where we want to plug more of those partners in. And essentially, we're the workflow system. And so you don't have to take your drone data and send it out to some other company, wait for it to come back, maybe manual. We're just trying to automate all of that. And essentially, it's kind of like the playbook I did in in the media world where they wanted to get data off the editing workstation onto Netflix with very little human interaction. And because the human resources are actually one of the, the more constrained parts of the whole thing. And so we're just trying to like augment their daily workflows even just simple things like file upload. I mean, we talk to people that are like, well, we take all these pictures, but it's kind of a hassle to go back and like offload them onto my desktop, upload them to Google Drive, like, oh, I got to sort them out. Like, it's just a mess. And if we could basically be like, here, take a picture, we'll just handle everything. And now look, it's in our archive and we've already indexed it. I mean, it's literally just what Google Photos does, but what about all the other data? I mean, you want to correlate the audio and, the, and eventually we can do 3D scanning on the phone. Um, that's where it's just kind of like a pro version of Google Photos. And I mean, we always, one of the first taglines I was even thinking is, I mean, is this just like Google Photos for industry or iPhoto for industry? And that's kind of where we started of kind of a, an industrial strength media management system. But now it's grown into, there's the analytics side to it. There's a compute plugin side to it. And, and it, it's, the vision is I mean, now achieving what I originally thought more was where I wanted to have with this. Right. How do you go about automating the indexing of a video yep. or a, an image? Because I thought that a lot of this work was outsourced to places where you can get cheap labor, who are doing yep. all the tagging, et cetera. So how do you take the human person, the human out of the yep. process there? Well, a lot of the human work is typically in the model training. But so if you, I guess if you look at it, if you already have a trained model, so assume you got a model somehow, like it's off the shelf or from Microsoft or from some other vendor, executing the model is not hard. You just, I mean, it's an inference call, takes a second or two, you get JSON data. So it's just like any other API call. But the productionalization of that, and then well, what do you do with that JSON data of, I found a conveyor belt or I found a tank. That's the part that we automate. And so now we can say, look, just connect us on. If we know the schema of what it's giving back, we can map that back to tags. We store all the, what we call observations of tags. We can map it to people, places, things, if the, if the model gives us that, that detail. And mm-hmm. essentially, we take the output of the model and it's almost like an ETL solution to get it back into the graph. And so it always ends up back in the graph. Now, the training side is interesting. And that's where the subject matter experts, what we're doing with auto-tagging is assuming the user can find 20 images of their thing that they want to find. Like somebody was looking at bighorn sheep and some wildlife footage. They're going to be enough of a subject matter expert. They can put bounding boxes around that data. And so we've done is add some secret sauce of data augmentation to kind of convert that 20 into a thousand. And really we're just looking at, at this as a filtering mechanism. So it really just has to be good enough. It doesn't need to be the perfect model that someone's going to get injured or die or something if, if the model's wrong. Mm-hmm. Their numbers of analytics may be a little off, but it's enough to get them close enough to the pin. 
If they want to get closer to the pin, what we said is, here's some partners that it's really about how much your time investment is. If you want to spend a couple of weeks and hire people to do labeling, build a model, like I'd love to talk to more of them, but there's a bunch of different partners we've talked to that can help with that. And so we always look at it that way of this kind of layering effect of easy button, partner, bespoke. And we just want to make sure we support that whole stack. But at the end of the day, it's just an API call for inference. And that's the easy part. And it's just how you get that model to call that's the hard part. Right. So if you were, say, uh, an app developer, how it, how it could eventually work is that I know there's a lot of like ML models you can go out and purchase already, right? In a lot of places, there's a lot of catalogs of these things. And so yep. even if you didn't have the labeling model for, say, like, um, uh, like if you were like self-driving, right? You could go and pay, potentially go and one day purchase this. Maybe you can already, I'm not sure. And then utilize that model on your platform to then, you know, quickly work up a, you know, sort of a self-driving startup, potentially. You, I mean, and, and actually you could, in a pretty easy way, you can get pretty close. I mean, yeah. there's like, we partnered with RoboFlow and they have this uh, model marketplace called Universe. And there's mm-hmm. hundreds of models there that people created, the data sets are there. And so yeah. we're actually adding in support where we're going to curate some of them for different use cases. And they're just options you could turn on. And essentially we pay for the inference. It just flows through the cost to the customer. But it's like, they didn't have to figure out how to deploy it. They didn't have to, and, but over time, what we want to do is kind of, use, I mean, use that transfer learning concept of, okay, here's a good enough model. Let's train it with, retrain it with some more data. And we have an, a review and approval process built in. Mm-hmm. So over time, we want to get it, and we haven't started this work yet, but to, to retrain continuously. And at some point, I mean, obviously it's a cost time and uh, issue uh, there, but we'll give people the option. Like, I mean, do you want to make this better? Give mm-hmm. us more data. And then maybe, and, and also have the ability to import annotated data from somewhere else. There's some really nice annotation tools out there, like Inoteskis is a partner I've talked to, and they have great tooling for video especially. And we could be like, hey, We'll publish our data to Inateskis. You use Inateskis if you're a customer of theirs, and we'll just take the data back and then train your model. And so because annotation is kind of one of the hardest problems, I mean, that's where the training with AutoML, if you have good annotated data, the AutoML training isn't necessarily that hard. And we are doing that anyway. So we just want to kind of get people, they don't have to bite off soup to nuts, reinventing the wheel for the whole process. Mm-hmm. We can automate pieces of it. And... Sure, we have big customers. I mean, people we've talked to that are oil and gas customers. They want to do it all themselves. Like they have mm-hmm. huge teams to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what we just told them is, well, look, get us an API input. You want to do everything, just get us something we can call. And it actually is what we call bring your own pipeline. Mm-hmm. And that's the most the easiest case. Um, mm-hmm. And we've talked to some people who want kind of what we call bring your own model, which is like, give me a Git repo, your model, or give me a... Docker image or something like that, or a container registry that we can link to. That's more of an end of year. We're, we're, that's our next. We want to learn from people what they really want, but we anticipate yeah. that's going to be like the last bit. Like if they mm-hmm. truly want just us to hook to some Git repo and just then suck all their, I mean, data and the models in, we could do it. I'm just not sure if that's really what people want yet. I haven't. I honestly haven't heard a ton of signal around that. I've heard more signal around the other cases. So. Right. So it really sounds to me like there's just a ton of backend infrastructure that is going into market right now that is going to exponentially grow the sort of machine vision and AI universe of companies, right? So the 
the ability to start up a self-driving, not maybe like a cruise or a, or a, yeah. or a lift or whatever, but just even like those robo delivery bots or whatever, like it's just going to become easier for others to, um, to get into that space. Right. Is that kind of how you're seeing it? Yeah. I have a friend that he works for, uh, in that industry, robotics industry, but it's a bit more in the synthetic data front of like they're generating renderings and stuff. But they were, we had talked originally about like a, a, just a data management solution. Like, can they have a better than Dropbox solution with search and, and visualization and that kind of stuff to their customers? And so that's why I think there's an OEM model of, look, I mean, maybe it's just to bring your own data. Like, just give us your data and we're truly just a, a better than Dropbox solution for some customers. Mm. And Maybe that's, a, I mean, we've talked, so there may even be a light version of this. That's all they wanted. But I think there's almost this parallel to the video transcoding world. It's like anybody can go transcode a file with FFmpeg. It's open source. It's not that hard to use, but it's one, 10, 10 videos. What if you do want to do 100,000? Like then once you get past that kind of level of, then you can go and use a service like Azure Media Services or the one on, on Amazon or something like that. And that... Like it's an automation. You hit this trigger of, oh, okay, I really need to automate this. The fact that anybody can go do this themselves, like we don't know write databases from scratch either. And so that's why we're trying to be that kind of just de facto layer that people would be like, oh, cool, that's there. We put our data in, we, we're now lifted up to here and then we can kind of build on the shoulders of that. And that's, that's really the long-term vision where we just want to be thought of in that conversation with a Snowflake, a Databricks, a Synapse Analytics. Here's an extra little part to it you just plug all your pieces into, and now you can build an even cooler product in a tenth of the time. And right. that's what we're trying to leverage. What, um, can you talk me through some really interesting applications that you're seeing right now, or that you could see could be done with your technology and some of the other things within your ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of these, the, we've talked to aerial survey companies who they're doing like wildfire and wildlife analysis. Mm. And one of the questions they had asked us in an early meeting was, well, okay, this is cool, but what if I just want to search for all the dams that we've flown over in the last three years? And if you think of this, like all their data is sitting in SharePoint and their idea of search essentially is file search. So they can't, just the ability to search by geofence, search by a time window, and then carving it down by some form of metadata. Like, hmm. okay, do we know that, I mean, it came off, it's all PNG files or it came off a drone or something like that. Like hmm. just the ability to, to take a haystack and make a smaller haystack mm. is really the first, that's the easy part that we can do. But then it's like, well, can you give us, just draw out 20 examples of the dams you're talking about? And then we can do everything else. And then we can auto tag that. And literally they just go up to the, the search box, hit filter, click, type in dam and be like, show me everything tagged with a dam. And now you get that displayed on a map, you get it displayed over time, and mm. you can then use that as another access for filtering. And that yeah. just blew them up. Because they're like, we, they just didn't even know that's possible. And to, mm. to just deal with their data in a non-manual data discovery fashion. And I think that's one thing we're dealing with a little bit is it's a market education. Like there's, people don't realize, I mean, like you have Google search for all your web data, but there still aren't great file search technologies out there, even for your desktop. I mean, the Windows one never really works the way it should. And, and mm. I mean, essentially that's what we're, really core to media management software is a right. really good search and filter. And one of the things we're leveraging is because we're using this knowledge graph concept, it really lets us pivot on data really easily. And so the ability to look at a tag, connect different tags up, 
And eventually we want to do things like clustering and be like, hey, I mean, we we see a cluster of tags related to these different files. Maybe we auto tag that cluster with a new tag or something. And just to kind of make and trend analysis, I think it's going to be the next big thing. We haven't started tackling yet, but essentially we're creating a time series of events that we sense over time. Like hmm. there was a damn flow over on March 31st at, at 10 a.m. Essentially is a time series event because it was when the image was captured. And so what I'm really looking forward to doing is pumping that into like Azure Stream Analytics. Um, because right now, it's already we're already pumping it through Event Hub. Like we have an event-driven system, mm. but I'm really curious to see what kind of insights we can gather of, mm. ooh, that's weird. Like why, why did we fly over all these pools of water in this short amount of period within this geospatial region? I had an organization in Los Angeles They were working on a project with students to identify uh, tents in basically park regions. But the interesting part was they wanted to correlate heat and fire risk to where the people were camping. And Mm -hmm. so that's a really other interesting area that I've I've been talking to folks like Nearmap and some other data source providers that if we can correlate that kind of data with the data we're gathering, and we could be like, hey, I mean... If we almost like cluster, geocluster, the soil temperature data or something like that and overlay that with where the tents are, essentially you can do intersections of one data set with another data set. Mm. Um, that's where I'm super interested. Like, I can't wait to get to that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Because that's, that's really going to be, I mean, hopefully by the end of year, this thing, the kind of thing, but maybe it's early next year. That's really the next phase of what we start doing is correlating data from a snowflake warehouse, correlating it from a, an API, like a weather API or something like that. Um, right. Those are the things I'm super excited about. Right. No, they, they are really interesting. I've, oh, I've always wondered why the wildfires uh, haven't had some some help from the tech side to really yeah. try and solve them, right? Like in a lot of cases, it's like taking just a, a whole range of information and trying to predict like where the fire is going to go and trying to yeah. you know really hit the target points as quickly as possible. But it seems like maybe there's just a little bit more to go to um, you know to be able to do that in sort of real time. Yeah, and I think I mean for us, it's I mean I wouldn't call this like we're not taking real time video streams or things like that, but we can index and process things in order of seconds, not minutes. So, I mean, we're kind of semi-real-time. and it's, I mean, we're not tuned for like millisecond response, but we're tuned more for volume. Right. To me, drones are just opening up an, an entire world of opportunity here. Like if you just think about agriculture and, and horticulture, I mean, those are two very big industries in New Zealand where I'm from. And there's been a lot of, I've watched a lot of videos and read a lot of things about those industries starting to use drones, but to me, it's just them reviewing video remotely. It's not actually historically looking at patterns or changes to the growth of, um, you know, of animals or fruits, vegetables, those sort of things. Like, I presume, like this is this is the technology that can really supercharge the insights that you can get from your your spatial information via a drone. Yeah, I have a friend, um, so my old colleague, that she's working at a an agriculture focused company. I could see. As a data preparation platform and a kind of data discovery platform, I mean, think about this. Like a drone's flying over a ton of real estate, but maybe their farm is only 30% of what the drone flow over. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's kind of difficult to crop out, like, I mean, pun not intended, but to, to crop out that area that they really would care about. And mm-hmm. I mean, if we could automatically detect, like, oh, okay, this is the read, this is just like 
land with nothing like in there, we can just use that as kind of a negative filter to say like, just ignore all this stuff where we don't even see anything that looks like a, an out of the normal object. And those are some of the interesting models I've been thinking about that are almost like intentionally made to be rough, like kind of rough cut models that are more like just opt out the stuff where like we don't see anything that looks out even like a, a real world object. I think that's where a lot of the people, I mean, a lot of the products I see today are ML to find specific things, like really, really tiny Neil in a haystack. But I think there's some kind of rough cut concepts that we're going to think about of just using it as part of your search criteria to be like, hey, hide anything that looks like water or something like that. Or, or even, I mean, I was going to do a, a demo of, um, can we just auto tag by like sunny versus rainy versus cloudy and go enrich by the time in the GPS and just put some high level tags on there. And just it's better ways to be like, okay, well, I don't want to see any cloudy data because we probably can't see this stuff anyway. So literally just unset that tag, boom, you just drop down 40% of your data set. And so those are the kind of cool things that I think we can kind of give more of those easy buttons for. I think, I mean, we're not going to try and, I don't even consider us a, an ML company. I mean, we're really just a data company. So it's like, how can we make more sense of their data to then get it in the hands of true data scientists if, uh, if needed? Have you identified any sort of satellite companies that you could you could partner with because there's a lot of, there's this you know there's a big trend in CubeSats, yep. you know, small satellites etc so to me that sounds like a logical partner you know way to tackle combine combine ideas and and knowledge is that something yeah. you looked into as well yeah nearmap I've talked to them I actually got introduced to their CEO they have some really interesting stuff where they have basically they have their own ML models but if and we could potentially license just essentially like bounding regions of things and use those as like filters, like geospace filters and say, look, I mean, here's a neighborhood or here's a house or something. We could try and slice and dice that. So they don't license out their algorithms, like I asked, <laughs> but they're not, they're not doing that. But it's, I mean, there might be a data set that maybe we can incorporate. Um, the other was a really interesting, I think it was maybe an Australian, New Zealand company is they were the one doing like uh, soil temperature and all these really interesting like earth statistics um, kind of things. And that I thought was super cool, where mm. if we could sort of in, in, infer metadata from that at a high level, like um, essentially almost creating layers of data that may just be clustered, they may be just kind of simple geo clusters or things like that of sort of a density of, of a fire risk or something like that. Mm. Um, and then we essentially just need to intersect those optional layers with the data that the customer's already built. Right. And be like, okay, we'll highlight these things. And so it's like, and I always remember in the image processing days, like masking. I mean, you're essentially building a mask for the data. And mm. I think you can almost mask out visually, okay, I don't want to see cold regions. I only want to see hot regions. I want to see sunny, not cloudy. And then you're just kind of building these layers of a mask and mm. seeing what falls out of your, your search results. Right, right. As, um, so a lot of these companies like satellite companies or drone companies, yeah. have they tried to build their own solutions up until now? And then... You can come in and say, hey, we've got an out-of-the-box solution, saves you a ton of money, spend a ton of time. Is that a sweet spot for you guys? I think it can be. I mean, we've talked to a few folks who said, hey, we built a V1 and we like what you're doing better than what we built. Like we love the graph concept because they hadn't built it. It was more probably a standard database solution. Once we open up the API, I think we're going to push harder on kind of that more the OEM developer persona, like a company building their company on us. 
I do see that as an angle that, I mean, I, I really think there, I mean, I, I want to have a ton of value. Like, it's like, okay, you go build on Spark or you go build on so, in SQL, but it's like, we're just another core component, a tool in the toolkit. Um, that's somebody we have talked to several folks there. We, I mean, it's one of those things of like how much time have they invested in, I mean, there's companies, sure, they build something that looks almost identical to what we have, but typically it's only connecting one thread of maybe it only deals with images. Maybe it only deals with documents. We're trying to be a lot more generic and that it's like, we want to connect up. I mean, audio and data and documents and CAD drawings and 3D point clouds. I think that's a big value proposition for us where we've talked to um, big oil and gas companies. They're like, oh, well, we have a ton of documents, but, oh, and we have point clouds. It's like, well, you can't go to a document management company and be like, well, can I <laughs> correlate my point clouds in with that now? Like, it's just, they box themselves in. So by de facto, like we're just saying, look, we need to ingest everything. And sure, maybe we can't run ML on everything. Like mm. we don't yet have a point cloud segmentation algorithm plugged in, but mm. we can view them and we can still use your normal search and tagging. But over time, we want to kind of be a richer media management system for everything. I love, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Ross bag format, which is like a robotics data format. It's used, I mean, like the spot robots capture data in that way, the right. um, vehicles do. I want to be able to ingest that natively and just, mm-hmm. you just drop an ingest a Ross bag format. We yeah. split it up and ingest it and do the same kind of things. And so I hopefully we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of months, but it's, uh, I think that's going to open up another kind of data management for those robotics formats. Typically it's, it's really done wrong. Like it's say, hey, I got an S3 bucket of these files with some kind of unique file naming. And that's the extent for the most part. And like, you can't look at a Ross bag file and go, hey, show me all my hundred thousand Ross bags on a map and show me how they were captured over time. Yeah. And that was something at GM. I was like, well, you can't even look at a test that happened in March and go back and kind of go back up the chain. Or can you correlate it to the vehicle it was captured on? essentially be like, well, wow, we're having all these problems with this specific test vehicle. It's a classic, just metadata query kind of management kind of stuff. But yeah, those are the kind of things that I think some people think it's, you have to be so bespoke for every operation, but it's just about like common data models. Like if you map stuff back to a common enough data model, I mean, no matter you find the data in one place, in one file, and another place, another file, we call it make, or we call it model. And it's like CDM, I, like in the in the Microsoft ecosystem. Essentially, we're building a CDM for a common data model for this kind of data mm-hmm. in that we expose our GraphQL API. So as long as we can kind of find how to map it, the query still stays the same. And so that's kind of how we get that that value. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super fascinating stuff. I mean, I, I can just see enormous applications um, as uh, the tooling improves, but also I think the... Um, the knowledge out there yeah. where, you know, of those who can use it effectively also increases, right? I still, you know, I'd ha- you'd have to think it's at its infancy now. And then there's a lot yeah. of upskilling that is going to happen in the next decade or so for this to, you know, for the really take hold um, across yeah. far more applications and market. And I think it's, I mean, I think we'll have to look at integrations with SAP, with, I mean, maybe Salesforce, with Dy- uh, Dynamics and stuff like that. I think, I think that's, and we're we're launching on Azure Marketplace next month. And so I think it's, we're mostly the brand awareness is probably what's limiting us now that I think just getting it out there in front of more people that we can find people that have needs and understand this as a potential solution. We're really focused on go-to-market and marketing right now because 
we believe the product's in a good, still early, but good enough state that it can provide value to a number of people. And now we just got to find them. <laughs> and that's why I appreciate being here because it's just getting, even just getting the problem out there that people are like, wow, you can actually solve this. It's yeah. uh, that's no, usually the, the part I have. I mean, people struggle more with, and yeah. it's not, it's not like, uh, oh, wow. Like I can't even think of an idea of why anybody would do this. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more there. Like there is, I think the, in someone's mind, the world of opportunity, I mean, I would have to say like even myself thinking now, like the world of opportunities just grows once you know that this can actually be solved. Because to me, this is such a huge hurdle to actually creating a a machine vision type tool or application that you could then sell. So it's it's really a key building block that if you can find a a ready-made solution that can speed up your own ideation around what you could actually create, right? I mean, I was thinking, I mean, a funny little demo would be I have these squirrels that kind of run along the fence outside my window. We literally set up a camera that snaps a picture every second, uploads it to our service, auto, mm-hmm. create an auto tag model, and literally I could get a Slack alert when there's a squirrel outside my window. Yeah. And the latency would be, I mean, within, depending on how often you're taking the pictures, literally you could be, I mean, you could just build out these machine vision based applications. And it's, I mean, or things like when the boat left the dock. I mean, if we could sort of be like, hey, you see this line of boat, 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 no boat, and then creating a signal out of these kind of like building blocks of machine yep. vision. Mm-hmm. There's just immense opportunity. I mean, and, and just yeah. in these group, we kind of see it as this kind of Lego block concept, but I, mean, I know that's overused term, but I think it's it's in this low code world, the more mm-hmm. we can just come together and people that build ML enabled applications is really what we're, we're trying to, to get out there. And just the data modeling side of it, Except the data that's captured. I wouldn't even go far to say that there's there's this massive application eventually for Power BI users and Power Apps users here because these are tools that Microsoft are really pushing to be democratizing you know the, yeah. the the analysis of any data right and um but they're very much all about structured structured data like when you create a power app um you know all it is is really just taking text inputs right there's no yeah. way to layer on any sort of machine vision indexing or or tagging like like what you're trying to solve and to me if you can layer that on well then power apps can be used in so many different ways i mean yeah. as a as a check as a checklist uh, something like a to check you know like a an electricity generation plant or, you know, just something like very complex applications, but putting them inside a UI that is very familiar to millions and millions of users. So to me, the applications there are just enormous, absolutely enormous. And it was interesting. I was surprised. I hadn't even thought about this in, in October. One of the, it was a surveying company and they just wanted to know how many of this device do they use for surveying versus this other device? I think it was a Trimble survey device versus a Faro. And they just wanted numbers. Like they didn't care where they were. They just wanted to be like a report of, okay, in May, we we captured this many images with this and this many images this. And mm. just the ability to generate simple analytics for a dashboard is something, I think, I mean, we're not, we can do some of that like fast food queries and things from GraphQL, but I mean, just having something we could directly connect into a Power BI is something we need to think about more this, this year because mm. I mean, we have those capabilities. We're just not really, we haven't spent the time Think about that, but just the ability to generate reports based on the metadata, and you're kind of like second order down from a picture. And mm-hmm. I always kind of call that like I mean, there's like the first order metadata, the second order metadata is usually kind of like kind of inferred from that level or the the media. 
And then, I mean, you can even get downstream more by kind of grouping the other, looking at trends and, and things mm-hmm. like that, kind of that third order. And yeah. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're still small, but I, I can't wait to get there. And as we, as we grow, there's just so much opportunity to start auto and really just auto linking things together. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, we see this tag um, or this text on a tank. We've auto linked that with this SAP record. Like, and so if you just want to jump right over, boom, we figure that out for you. Like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that will just immense time savings for people. So our eye is just automation and basically maximizing time in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've always looked at Power BI actually through a slightly different lens. And on the face of it, Power BI is just an analytical tool and um, you can run great analytics, you can create dashboards. But I've always looked at it in a much more deeper way. And I've always seen it as a distribution mechanism for insights within organizations because you have this amazing online platform, this online service, which can enable a user from anywhere to log in and see insights across the entire business, right? And this is just a, to me, it just sounds like a very logical plugin that can add additional insights, um, add unseen data, unseen yeah. analytics to something, to a distribution platform that already exists, right? It already yeah. is. And it's going to be even more far widely used than we can even imagine right now. I think it's going to be very, very dominant distribution mechanism going forward for anything analytical. Yeah, I think you're dead on it. And it's something, I mean, honestly, I mean, we just, we know that's something that we need to focus on a bit more, but I think there's so much potential there really just, to, and it's, it's kind of like what time series has done for IoT data and things like that. I mean, it's these extra kind of worlds of data that we can connect up together. And yeah, we're not going to try and replace the Power BI or the Tableau of, I mean, and we kind of have to have a UI just because, sure, if that's good enough for you, but we really see as we're probably not going to be the future UI, the end UI for a lot of people. It might be Esri ArcGIS using our data, or it might be Power BI using our data or something mm-hmm. like that. Or, but I mean, we need to have something to show the connection of, of that. And, and it's a very useful tool. I think our UI is really nice. Who knows? Maybe it'll start to get acceptance as a de facto UI, but we're not committing, like we're not betting the company on that. Right. So it's, uh, we know we have to play well with others in, in a lot of this data space. So. Right. So I think we're, we're getting to getting to the yeah. end here. Really appreciate time. It's been a really fascinating um, discussion. I've learned a lot myself. What are just some some bigger trends maybe that, that you can maybe just talk to to round us off, and I'm also maybe some of these trends you you saw within Cruise or within some of the other places you've worked as well. I'm I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, I think it's I mean the biggest trend to me is I don't think this is bad to say, but I mean ML is commoditized very heavily. I mean, I think it's there's always going to be really smart people, data science building things, but they're we're continuing to stand on the shoulders of others, and I think just accepting that, like we kind of did that in the video world, like. I didn't write my own codec for MK, like H.264. I license one. I mean, and it's, I think we're, I think there's the ML world hasn't accepted that maybe as much yet. I mean, I think there is with now with Yolo V5 and there's models out there, but I think I have heard people, I mean, maybe not everybody just kind of push back and be like, kind of need to do it from scratch. And I think allow commoditization to happen and focus on the parts where commoditization does work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be accepting of that. That's really what we're trying to leverage is, I mean, just, plug and play, just like learn from some of the other worlds. And then, I mean, AutoML gets you kind of at an X phase, but I think understanding that there are these kind of layers of ML of from bespoke down to automatic and not everything's going to work for everybody. And we don't, we don't expect it to, but you have to realize from your own testing, what's good enough. 
And I think there, the, you, you have to apply the use case to kind of where you want on that spectrum. So that's why, I mean, there's a lot of companies that are in the unstructured data space, like either focused on one type of media, or maybe they're focused on the data science persona, but really low level, like at the Python level, which we don't, I mean, we're not getting into that granularity at all. We're really focusing on the data that's extracted. We don't care how you build the model. We just want to productionalize the model and make it useful, right. which I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of people kind of leave that as an exercise to the reader. Of like, well, you call this model, you get CocoJSON back, you get whatever back, what then? Like, how do I connect that to a Slack alert? Or how do I tell my sales for or my ticketing system something? Like, mm. everybody has to go to like build that out with Power Automate or Zapier or all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you yeah. want to connect those dots and just automate that because the more ML gets used in the ecosystem, the more chances there are that if that existed, people would use it and just go work on the harder problem. Mm-hmm. And really that's what we just want to take away the, the meat potato stuff in this realm and just be a provider of those automation systems and let people go build the really cool stuff on top of us. So, Yeah, I would say up until this point, I think a lot of people are scared away from doing ML because they feel like the 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 hurdles or the the skill levels you need to reach are uh, almost unattainable. And that sort of leads me actually to what so my last question is say you're a data analyst and you're you're a Power BI user, you've become very proficient in Power BI. What do you see? How do you see someone evolving to take the next steps to do a bit more ML? What are some some quicker paths to achieving some nice applications or some nice output around around that technology? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as savvy, honestly, with the structured data side of kind of what is out there. I think, I mean, I have seen like the AI builder and some things like that. I think from an unstructured side, I think there's like primer.ai has some great, like really, really interesting ML and NLP based algorithms for like data summarization and entity extraction, PII detection. And I can see those are like, or even like a company I talked to that does uh, image video reduction. I mean, think about if you're building a bespoke app in a Power Apps universe for like public safety. I mean, there's just some basic things you're going to need that if you could cobble together some of these pieces and get the value of ML in without having to, to go to that trouble. So I think you're starting to see more building blocks of ML. I don't think the average data analyst needs to worry about which model was run or like mm-hmm. the math behind it. I mean, like, I don't know the math behind the data science stuff, like a true data scientist. I'm an application developer and a, a platform developer. I know how the pieces fit together. And I know how the data moves around. And I understand the concepts, but it's like, I'm not going to say that I, I know like how YOLO V5 works. <laughs> I mean, but I know what it's doing at a minimum. And so that, I think people just need to realize it's not, I mean, I used to, that's when I got to, to the GM, I hadn't touched ML at all. And so, I mean, I've kind of learned in that kind of meta way and I understand how to make use of it in a production environment and how to productionalize it, but you're going to see it plug in. It's like I didn't, it's like the codex thing. I don't know exactly how all the little, I knew to some level of detail, I mean, how all the frame compression worked and stuff like that. I couldn't go write it myself. But yeah. I think it's the same with ML. Like you got to know at least a bit of what it's doing. So mm. when it fails, you know why. Or you have good partners and good uh, folks that you can go talk to and say, look, that's why I like the, we probably won't have a pro-serve group, but we'll have partners that have pro-serve groups and yeah. let them be the smart person in the room. We can just plug them in to the greater ecosystem. Nice, nice. Yeah, look, I have to 100% agree with you. It's not actually about 
maybe a few years ago, you, you felt like you needed to learn all of the theory and you needed to mm-hmm. become like the world's greatest data scientist, but probably it's almost like just like layering on blocks now, like building a stack and um, knowing how that stack all connects together is probably going to get you to where you need to go faster. And it's probably all you need right now. Like it's not yeah. like you need to re- like rebuild everything from nothing from scratch. I think that's going to be the way of the next couple of years. I mean, kind of more low-code, no-code ML. There's great companies out there that are... I mean, if you have the data and you know enough of what you want, they can automate the full stack for you. Azure and uh, Amazon have good tools in that space, but I think you'll start to see more layered, kind of easier tools, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I think... But it still comes back to, okay, that's great. What do you do with the data after? Like, I think there's a lot of companies spun up to help the data training, like data augmentation, synthetic data, all that. But I just don't see companies going, okay, well, just plug that in over here and do something with it in a business automation sense. And that's really where we're trying to help is glue it all together, kind of follow that kind of Zapier kind of power automate model of Mm -hmm. let's just connect the dots for people. Awesome. That's great. Okay. Well, hey, let's round off. Um, yeah. Really appreciate your time today. Enjoy the conversation and um, really fascinating company that you're, that you're, um, you're, that you're founded and that you're running right now. And yeah, look, I wish you, wishing you all the best and um, look, I have absolutely no doubt there's going to be hundreds of applications this could plug into. So yeah, um, really, really wish you all the very best and uh, over, over the next few years as you build it out. No, thank you so much. No, we're uh, really, it's, it's, we're just at the early days, but I, I just can't wait to see where, where we are a year, a year from now. So yeah, no, same here, same here. Okay, Appreciate thanks so much, Kurt. All the very best, okay. and uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Okay, yeah, bye. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. It's great to be connected, and I hope you are enjoying the content we're creating through the Analytic Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this session, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of each episode as we release them. If you want to learn more about Enterprise DNA and the many initiatives we're working on, check out www.enterprisedna.co. There we have a range of resources to download, events to attend, and information to explore. We're leading the charge around this new paradigm we're living in where tools like Power BI can literally change how an organization manages, analyzes, and distributes insights that can make an impact. It's an exciting moment in the analytics space. So glad that you're on this journey with us. Take care.